everybody. Hello. So good to have you. We're so glad good to, to have, have you. you. Welcome <laughs> to Almost 30 if you're new. We're grateful to have you. My name is Krista and this is my best friend, Lindsay. We have a show that comes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We've been doing this for a while now and we're here to support you in your evolution through really open and honest conversations. We explore a lot of different topics and we're really here to serve you in a non-judgmental and fun way. Yes, always, always non-judgmental. Yeah, I, I feel like episodes like this, the sex thing, people just love. People love sex people relationships. Love I'm yeah. excited. It's true though. I think that's just like a natural. <laughs> it's for some reason in our society, for many reasons, it's kind of taboo to get into it or to feel comfortable talking about it. And I'm so glad that on our show, we've been able to kind of break through some of those like, you know, tougher scar tissue of like, I don't know how to have that conversation or like, how do I ask for what I want? Or, you know, all of these things. It's, it's through this show. Like, I feel like I've gotten more comfortable with like, oh, that's actually what I want. That's what I need. And I can ask for that. And that helps the relationship to flourish. What? (laughs) 100%. Yeah. I think about, it's like funny because I think whenever we talk about sex on our show, I always kind of think about the other podcasts that are also talking about sex and our approach is so different. It's like always on the relational tip. It's like, okay, how can we bring this back to communication or like connection or spirituality or the greater good of the relationship? And I like think about other shows and it's like, how many dicks (laughs) dicks can I ram in my ass? (laughs) Like, it's just so aggressive. And I feel like, that to me, I don't, that's perfectly fine. Do whatever you want. But just so you know, whenever we approach sex conversations, it's really from like the relational piece of feeling more comfortable in your bodies, feeling more comfortable with sex, feeling more comfortable receiving and giving pleasure, feeling more comfortable being connected to other people in like a really intimate way. Mm -hmm. And the Hermetica, which is one of my favorite books. It's interesting because in it, it talks about the act of sex, the act of being able to have sex as human humans on earth. And it's really beautiful. In one of the, the passages, it talks about how people have sex in private because of the spiritual power and capacity of sex that when if other people were to watch upon people having sex, they would mock it. And it just reminded me of how powerful it really is from a spiritual perspective and how intimate it really is to have sex. And the act of sex, which is so intimate and powerful and special and beautiful, has been stripped of a lot of that, you know, through a lot of different things with the internet, with social media, with porn, and which is all fine and good. But I just am always reminded of like this access to intimacy that we do have through this connection that you can have when you are having sex. So it's fun to come at it from that perspective, especially when we have odd people like Dr. Kate. Yeah, definitely. And I think some of those podcasts that are like, how many dicks can I ram in my mouth? I feel like there's a sexual liberation piece to that that maybe some people find like, liberating where it's like, oh, you know, I I, I do think that there are different levels to where people are at as far as like what they talk about and what they ask for, what they like, what they explore. And so, um, you know, the landscape and the menu that you have, especially in the podcast world is a good one, but yeah, it was just- It's such a vibe. It's such a vibe. We met Dr. Kate at House of Wise. So House of Wise is, is a company that we invest in. It's a company that we love. It's our CBD company of choice. They have amazing sex products. So they have sex gummies, sex drops, 
You can use almost 30 code to get $20 off. But Dr. Kate was there and she spoke at the event and just was so powerful and clear and honest and really, really knowledgeable. You know, she's been in the game for a long time. So right when Lindsay and I met her, we knew we had to have her on the show. Yeah, she is super, super powerful. So she's the founder of Modern Intimacy. She's a sex therapist and licensed psychologist. And yeah, I was just very much drawn to her... I guess, comfort with and also ability to just be so... She just like holds her own sexuality and it's not in the way of like sex. It's like her like essence was just so fucking powerful, especially when she was talking about what we were talking about, which was in in the vein of relationships and sex. And it really like, I felt like people picked up on it and felt like, oh, I can... I can be a little bit more like that too, where I don't have to cower or feel uncomfortable. Like she really held it. And obviously it takes practice and she's a professional, but I don't know. I was just so completely enamored by her ability to like hold the room, hold these questions. Um, because I feel like there was a lot of giggles. <laughs> There's like, Ooh. that's me. <laughs> Honestly, 10 years old. Yeah, and now that, you know, being someone that's into Reiki and energetics and being, you know, an intuitive, it's like, now I notice so much more subtle energies. And when someone has all of their energy contained within their body, it's very, it's a sight, it's something to behold. And Mm -hmm. she very much, like feet were deeply planted in the ground, very in her body. And I think through all the work that she's done with such charged topics. You have to be like that. So this is going to be such a good episode. We talk a lot about communication and intimacy and asking for what you want. We talk a lot about misogyny, internalized misogyny. We talk about sexual liberation and it's just going to be such a great conversation. But before this, I wanted to talk a little bit about Lindsay and I were talking about the books that we are reading right now Mm -hmm. related to sex and relationships and communication. And this was something I've been talking a lot about in my relationship, but I've been reading David Dida or David Data, Mm -hmm. The Way of the Superior Man, which is a spiritual guide to mastering the challenges of women, work, and sexual desire. So it's basically a book that's written for men, but it's been referenced quite a bit in the spiritual community and the relationship community. John Wineland, who's a friend of the pod, talks a lot about David's work. And it's one of those books that a lot of people have a lot of feelings about. So some people love it, some people absolutely hate it. And I always like to read books like that. Some of my favorite you know, teachers are the most controversial. <laughs> so I always just like to explore some of the more controversial topics or books that are out there because it's usually where the most information can be gleaned about where we are as a culture and society. And then you learn about one side and you can also kind of explore the other, looking at the other side. Anyways, it's fascinating. And I actually find it to be really... I find it to be really good. I really am enjoying the liberation of the feminine as this like force. Mm -hmm. He explains the feminine as the ocean. He's like, you cannot contain the feminine. And the depth of the feminine is what's so beautiful. Like the power of the feminine, the unpredictability of the feminine is what's so beautiful. And you can put 
you know, an ocean into a pool, but you're not going to get that depth and that beauty and that exploration and that unpredictability of the ocean if you sort of try and contain the feminine. And it also talks a lot about men and their purpose and the importance of a man finding his purpose and the importance of a man being on purpose and being spiritually aligned, living his life in a way that he feel like he feels like is going to lead to the outcomes that he wants in life. I also really enjoy the parts on the polarity and tussling with a woman, which is the play aspect, you know, bringing in that lighter perspective to the moods that women can sometimes bring to a relationship. And it's really, really fascinating. I'm really enjoying it. Is Justin reading it too? Do you like, do yeah. people recommend that men read it? Like, I guess yep. what's the, yeah. So we're reading it together. We're, I'm reading it to him. And so we're just reading it together in conversation at night. So we do have a really good conversation because as someone that, so it's interesting because the principles of David are seemingly old, I guess, because it's more so like the archetypes of the masculine and feminine. And this can be applied in whatever relationship you are. And if you are not in a masculine and feminine relationship and maybe you're both non-binary, whatever, this might not apply to you, but these are the energetics that David's bringing in through the work. So in the work of this, it seems like it's very archaic. So for Justin too, to be someone that was brought up believing that women want to be treated in a certain way as like independent women, they want to be like bossy doing their thing. They want to be working. They want to be producing. They want to be in the boardroom. They want to be wearing heels. They want to be planning everything. (laughs) It's kind of like unraveling a lot for him as well when that might've been true for me when I was in my 20s, but now it's more of the softness. It's more of the relaxation. It's more of the receiving. It's more of the allowing. It's more of the masculine taking the lead rather than like the feminine taking the lead in certain areas of of life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, so quickly in relationships, I feel like those energetics just become what is. And you don't ever like question like, huh, like maybe, and I've fallen into that, like in this relationship and other relationships where I'm like, this is just how it is. And then you, you're you on sort of an autopilot and you don't like wake up to the fact like, oh, maybe I should plan our, plan a date night and surprise this person. You know, mm-hmm. something is like whatever is that, but it's, you don't think about it because you are so in a, well, this is just how it is. Like, this is how our relationship goes. It's been that way. Like, it just works. And so I think, yeah, the ability to kind of pull out of that and also trust yourself. I think it takes like a lot of like self-trust to be able to be like, yeah, actually there's a part of, you know, whether it's Justin or you that, or you that wants to be led and be soft and relax, you know, and there is a part of him that wants to lead, you know, and it's like a lot and trusting that part of you that is there and allowing that to actually come out. Um, I can imagine takes, takes a lot of practice, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I need to like gift that book. Yeah. It's such a good one. Some of the quotes that I really 
really love is, I love this quote, few few men are willing to give their deepest genius, their true endowment, the poetry of their very being with every thrust of sex and in life. Most men are limpened with doubts and insecurities, or they hold back their true drive because of fear. So they fiddle with their woman and the world just enough to extract the pleasure and comfort they need to assage their nagging sense of falsity and completeness. Mm. And then I really love this one too. Men who have lived significant lives are men who have never waited, not for money, security, ease, or women. Feel what you want to give most as a gift to your woman and to the world and do what you can to give it today. Every moment waited is a moment wasted and each wasted moment degrades your clarity of purpose. And there's a lot in it actually about purpose for men and not waiting into, until you have a certain amount of money or you're at a certain place or you've achieved something to enjoy your life, mm. like we will never finish obligations. And I think men hearing it from men that like you shouldn't have to wait till you're at a certain point to receive in life is also very important. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a beautiful writer. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, there are parts where I'm like, eh, I don't know. You know, that doesn't <laughs> feel, uh, with everything I do, I'm so, so, so open-minded as yeah, in certain parts same. of my life. Yeah, same. So I'm just always like, huh, that's interesting. That's an interesting mm-hmm. perspective. Like if this is helpful, it's not. But it's always good to find out what people are so charged about rather and to be able to know than to be able to be like, yeah, that's whatever and not know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so often people are like, oh yeah, it's this. And you're like, do you know? Or did you just hear someone say that? <laughs> you always know when that happens. Mm-hmm. You're like, say it in your words. <laughs> yeah, that's facts. That's literally <laughs> such big facts. You're like, but, but who told you that? I know. I am reading Wired for Love and I had a friend of mine recommend it to me and um, it is basically just understanding your partner's brain. And what I noticed was happening in my relationship with Sean was that like, I was trying to defend who I am and he was trying to defend who he is. And there was not no effort to understand, but there wasn't like a very present, consistent, concerted effort to really understand like why each other's brains work the way they do. So this book has just been really helpful to, um, one, uh, create what the author Stan Tatkin calls a couple bubble. Agreement, and this is from the book, an agreement to put the relationship before anything and everything else. It means putting your partner's well-being, self-esteem, and dis distress relief first. And it means your partner does the same for you. And you both agree to do it for each other. Therefore, you say to each other, we come first. And, you know, someone can hear that and be like, whoa, like, what about your self-care? And what about this? And what about your health? And what about this? And it's, I, I agree. And I think that for me, knowing that there would be a conscious effort to put each other's kind of safety and security related to like how we grew up, like what triggers us, what comes up first, especially in like social situations was really, really important because I would find myself like, I would do this weird thing where I would kind of like dog on him, like in a, if we were like with a group of people and it wasn't like mean, but I was just like kind of going along with like, how's friends with dog on him? And I would, and it was like, 
what am I doing? Like, I actually don't agree with them. And it was like a weird thing where I was just trying to be a part of the crowd, like group. And, you know, he would say to me after, he's like, I don't know. I just like felt like that was weird. Like you weren't really taking, you weren't really like taking into consideration like how I felt. And like, I feel like you were going against me and it just didn't feel. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And he's done it before too. So it's just been helpful. So um, understanding, you know, each other's fears, our needs, um, what makes us feel relief, what makes us feel um, like home, um, any little things that each other does that kind of just stir something. We're talking about it in the moment, kind of create like a little bit of a map, you know, where it's just like having a much deeper understanding so that when things do come up, we can kind of have this map to really be able to navigate in a way that is productive rather than just conflict heavy. So yeah, I'm really I'm really enjoying it. He's not reading this one with me. We're reading The Untethered Soul together, but it's yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting. I think um it brings in the attachment styles which we're familiar with and that really helps um because I think he's become more aware of like my my tendencies when I am becoming, when I do have those like kind of more attached, um, anxious attachments and uh, when he's avoidant and it's just because there's a light shown on it, it's less of this like shadowy thing working under the surface. It's like, ah, that's what it is, you know? And there's no shame around it. There's no judgment of each other or of ourselves. So um, yeah. I feel like I feel like we should all always be reading some sort of like relationship book because like always whether it's at work our parents our family our our romantic partner our friends our business partners like these are our greatest teachers and so to be able to navigate and read books that really like resonate you know they have to obviously hit and resonate um it's like a little back pocket guide and support system. Yeah. Yeah. It's focusing, you know, it's, we, Justin and I were talking about this at dinner. It's like so interesting how people are reading self-help development, productivity, all this kind of stuff. And then you do forget about the relationship mm-hmm. nurturance and the work of the relationship and the education of the relationship and the understanding. It's just so, so important. So Wired for Love is the book. And then The Way of the Superior Man is the book that I'm reading that you guys can dig into. And we also had in our membership, we did a workshop with Amy Chan, who did the Breakup Bootcamp. She's been on the podcast before talking about breakups in particular and your brain on breakups. So you can listen to that episode with her. But in our workshop, we talked about attachment styles and the impact of those in a way that I felt like I hadn't heard about before. So Mm -hmm. the benefit of being a member, which is coming up soon. Yeah. Cannot wait. Um, So excited to introduce you all to Dr. Kate. She is super powerful. Make sure you check out modernintimacy.com for more from Dr. Kate. She has courses. um, She has different resources for you. She herself has a podcast and she also has obviously her therapy services. 
yeah, she's incredible. Enjoy this one. You can also just search Sex Almost 30 and you can find a lot of different other episodes we've done (laughs) on sexuality, on relationships, on intimacy. This topic has been explored by us over the years. Thank you so much, Dr. Kate, for coming on the show. Thank you to everyone within our community. We really appreciate you. Thank you to the partners that support our show. It means a lot to be working with you. We're really excited about 2022 together. We have a lot of exciting things coming down the pipeline for podcasters, for people in our community, um, for our membership, for our courses and programs. It's going to be such a good year and we can't wait and are so grateful to be doing it with you. Truly. Thank you all for listening. We will see you on the other side of this one. We'll see you soon. I'm actually double tasking right now. I am perusing ZocDoc.com because I am looking for a gynecologist here in the city. I have yet to find a gynecologist, uh, but this might have happened to you. Have, have you needed to see a doctor? You search and you find one that looks good. You wait on hold to book an appointment. You rearrange your entire schedule. And when you finally go in, you find out this doctor doesn't even take your insurance, which is so annoying, but there's a solution and I'm loving it. I was like, okay, who takes my insurance? Where are you? And ZocDoc, finds unbelievable physicians and you can read verified patient reviews of all these doctors easily book an an appointment in person or video chat you'll never wait on hold with a receptionist ever ever again so when you need a doctor you need a doctor now i would assume not in a few days not in a few weeks and definitely not in a few months if you need to see an md asap ZocDoc is for you. The app is so easy. You just download the free ZocDoc app. It's the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. Okay. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Top of year. Let's let's get it in line. Our primary care physicians, dentists, dermatologists, psychiatrists, eye doctor, any any other specialist. Let's book them. Okay. ZocDoc has you covered. Go to ZocDoc.com slash almost 30. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash almost 30 and download the ZocDoc app for free. You'll sign up for free every month. Millions of people use it. I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to see a doctor. All right. So it's time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash almost 30 and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's ZocDoc.com slash almost 30. I'm living in a more of a high-rise now, Mm -hmm. right now. And I forgot how... Yeah, different it was when I was closer to the ground mm-hmm. here, and then up there I feel like a little bird. I actually feel really good, mm-hmm. but then there are times when I don't feel that good because yeah. I haven't really taken the time to ground that mm-hmm. much. Are you living in a high rise now? So my partner and I are bi coastal. So Great. here, no, I live on the third mm-hmm. story or third floor, and where we live in Miami, we're on the twenty second floor in a high yeah. rise. So we have the best of both worlds, which is really nice. You know, so just when nice. I start feeling like I'm untethered in the high rise, come back to LA and just like, oh, you know. In Miami, it's like all high rises. Yeah. <laughs> where, where do our friends live? In in oh. sunny Isles? Okay. They live in, yeah. And, yeah. All, and they, they live on the 58th floor. They're literally, floor. Like the, I don't know how it's possible. They're on the highest floors You're like, what level ever. are you, heaven? Yes. <laughs> yes. Like 68 stories. You're like, Beautiful, this though. is 
but it's stunning. It's it stunning. Yeah. But even talking about living in Italy or living someplace else, it's like, I think about my nervous system has been so mm-hmm. entrained to be in these type of spaces yeah. that it, it would almost just be like in three months, I would feel an unwinding of that mm-hmm. where my body is like, yo, where is that nervous system hit? Where is that nervous system reaction? And a lot of what you do is is the nervous system plays like such a big part. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between like the nervous system and sexuality and sex and pleasure? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our nervous system is made up of, you know, three unique parts. We've got the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, and the enteric nervous system as part of our autonomic nervous system. And when when those are in sync, right, when the sympathetic and parasympathetic are jiving with each other, we're in what's called our window of tolerance. And for most people, that's where they feel really great. That's where they feel focused. They can concentrate. They feel aligned, grounded, and it's in that space where the majority of people feel open to sex. Some people, when their nervous system starts to tick upward and they get a bit hyper-aroused in their nervous system, they actually want sex more because sex gives them that boost of neurochemicals that calms and regulates their nervous system. So it can be you know, a bit exciting for them to have sex when they're anxious or scared or mm-hmm. fearful. And Is other, that a normal response? It can be. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then you know, conversely, some people, when they get anxious, their sexuality or their desire just shuts off. Mm-hmm. They want nothing to do with sex. That's also normal, right? We are completely diverse creatures. And so at different times in our lives, we may react differently to changes in our nervous system and how it affects arousal. And we may not, we may be fairly static in that way in, mm-hmm. in terms of what turns us on and what shuts us down. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to someone who feels kind of that like shame around how their anxiety influences their their sex drive is there a way to kind of regulate in the moment or is it a matter of like communicating with your partner well i think first of all i, I would invite anybody who's feeling shame around something that their body is doing to examine where that shame comes from and so often it comes from an expectation that we have on ourselves about what we should or should not be feeling or doing and as long as everybody involved is providing affirmative consent there's no wrong way to be sexual right and i think that's a really important mm. thing to note and also if you're not feeling sexual that's okay Mm. Right, You never have to apologize for not wanting to be into it in that moment. So the shame piece, I think, is a really interesting piece to sit back and disentangle a bit because usually we feel a pressure to be or act or feel or be sexual in a certain way. And when we can get some distance, then we can make space and give ourselves permission for whatever is our reality and advocate with our partner for what we need in a way that feels a lot more authentic and actually gets us closer to getting our needs met. Mm -hmm. And I was just saying, your voice is so amazing. And it's actually when I first, when we met you at the House of Wise party, it was like what I thought about you where you're so in your body. Hmm. And I think that's such a, when you have or have done the embodiment work that you have done. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's such a result of that. And then the voice comes through so much clearer Mm -hmm. for those that I know that are really embodied because it's almost like the voice is coming from like deep inside the belly. Mm -hmm. What are your, like what's been your embodiment experience or journey? Because I think a lot of our listeners are women 
that would like to feel more embodied, Mm -hmm. would like to feel more confident, would like to feel more present, but are having a hard time navigating it with the world today? Such a great question. And and first I want to say that, you know, an embodiment practice is a practice, right? It's not something that we just do once and then poof, the light switch is flipped and we're embodied forever. It's ongoing. And my journey has been really long in that with periods where I'm really active and periods where my practice wanes. But I really started to think about being more embodied many years ago when I first started grad school. So around 2005, 2004, 2005, I started doing yoga and Yoga for me became a, a, a surprise home. I had no idea that I would feel the way I would feel in my body. And I had no idea how dissociated I was in my body. Mm. So yoga gave me a place to really be curious about you know, everything going on in my body and, my, and in my mind in reaction to it. And I think that's really the gift of any embodiment practice, whether you practice um, you know, Qigong or Tai Chi or yoga or stretching or any kind of Pilates or just anything that gives you the opportunity for slowness and stillness in your body because you develop what's called interoception. And interoception is the perception of what's internal, right? And that's the gift of embodiment that allows us to become so empowered from within because we learn how to discern all of our body's cues and make sense of them. And so, you know, my, my practice with yoga has evolved for many, many years. I eventually went on and got a yoga teacher certificate and taught in the prison systems for many years and developed my dissertation around the use of certain kinds of yoga for the treatment of sexual trauma. And it's been a really active part of my life, you know, throughout my whole adulthood, really. Mm-hmm. What's happening when when someone is kind of becoming disembodied or like leaving their body, um, is there something happening nervous system wise, emotionally mm-hmm. that you can explain? Yeah, the the short answer is that it's protection mm-hmm. in the moment, right? When we dissociate, when we leave our body or when we check out, even if it's not so extreme as to become derealized or depersonalized, what we're really doing is keeping ourselves safe from an experience of integration because for whatever reason, it doesn't feel okay to be in our body. That might be because of what's happening in the here and now, or maybe because of what happened some other time in our history. But our body says, yikes, and our brain goes, no problem, I'll take you out of that, <laughs> and mm-hmm. helps us just distract. So we can we can dissociate or distract in lots of different ways through numbing out, through you know, actually leaving our body, through being really distractive and compulsive in an activity. Mm. Yeah, I feel like if in sex, it's like something that I think happens for a lot of women. It's, you know, in the far end where it's like the traumatic response, but then also it's like, I feel like what I'm hearing from my friends in my community is that they're becoming less and less interested in sex. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with the modern life. And I'm curious if you're hearing that as well with women and what is the conversation that you think we should be having or that you're having with your clients? I'm hearing a few different things. And and to echo that, yes, I am hearing that a lot of women, a lot of straight cisgender women are having a big shift within their relationship with sex for a couple of reasons. One, I think there's a bit of a sexual recession happening in the pandemic. 
you know, when we are sheltering in place with, with partners or people, you know, yeah, partners or whomever is your Mm -hmm. living significant other, you start just seeing them in every dimension of life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. And (laughs) it's just not always very sexy Mm -hmm. and you don't feel very sexy. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we've got that sort of over-familiarity that we're contending with, but also the weight of the stressors of everything that has been this last year and a half with regard to the pandemic, with regard to politics, with regard to all of it. And that takes a big toll on our collective psyche. And I think a lot of women have really been reevaluating sort of who they are and what their lives look like. So what I'm hearing a lot of from women right now is an assessment of contentment in their relationships, a reevaluation of roles at home, because I think the pandemic, especially for people who have had children at home, really shed a lot of light on disproportionate roles in terms of emotional and domestic labor. And that has created a movement where a lot of women are just sort of like saying, what's in it for me? Mm. And do I even have the energy for this right now? And if I don't, I've got to preserve what little energy I have just to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It's like, especially for the women of our community, you know, they're working, they maybe mm-hmm. have a side hustle, mm-hmm. they maybe have their passion projects, they have their self-care routine, they have their friendship relationships, mm-hmm. then they have their intimate relationships, and then they have whatever, all these things. And then there's like the sex life kind mm-hmm. of falls to the wayside because it feels like something you have to do. And I think a lot of it is really like us not having a, a really healthy relationship with sex anyways, mm-hmm. where we're not really seeing that this could be something for me mm-hmm. or this could be something that's de-stressing me or you know, really giving to me. I think women sort of are still in the mindset of seeing it as it that it's something for a man. Do you experience Mm -hmm. that? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So many women are unconsciously conditioned to believe that their sexuality, their sexual pleasure is in service of someone else's. Mm. So I don't necessarily know that many people walk around consciously saying that, but there is this implicit message that says, you know, I should give sex to my partner. I should do this for him. I need to have an orgasm so that he feels good about himself. So when you factor that into the way we prioritize sex, it's no wonder that it's one of the things that comes off of our to-do list, you know, as quickly as it can. But I think when you kind of redefine your relationship with sex and start with introducing more solo sex so that you do derive the pleasure and the focus, Mm. that can be a really big gift. And then if you choose to bring that energy back to your partner, great. Mm -hmm. If not, okay, maybe it's just for you right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's so much with expectations Mm -hmm. around sex that I think can really stop us from exploring something Mm -hmm. like that because just putting words in or like thoughts in people's heads, but kind of what I maybe like past Lindsay might've thought, well, if I'm finding pleasure by myself and not necessarily giving myself a chance to have an orgasm with my partner, how is that going to affect their relationship? Is that normal? And so having these expectations around like, every time I have sex, I should be like feeling amazing. Or Mm -hmm. every time that we have sex, we need to actually finish or climax. Mm -hmm. It's like having all of these expectations I've found over the years have really kind of like blocked me Mm -hmm. from feeling pleasure in ways that I didn't expect. Mm And I think part of how I've been able to like navigate recently is like the communication piece. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious too, if like within, you know, the last 
almost two years of what we've experienced with the pandemic, like I also feel like the throat chakra of women is being activated, Mm -hmm. not only like whether it's in our relationships, but just like in the world as like the feminine of the earth, like Mm -hmm. really taking care and seeing things in a way that maybe not the collective can see it. And I even think just like, within my relationship, just being able to communicate about certain things that either I'm not sure of, I don't know what my needs are in certain ways, can we talk about it, has given me like a little different perspective of Mm -hmm. like, oh, our sex life can always be evolving and changing Mm -hmm. and like it just allows the expectations to kind of fall and take a rest Mm -hmm. and it become like this alive thing. When you're when you're coaching couples on communication, what do you see as like the biggest blocks or challenges within those relationships? Most of the time, the biggest blocks are that people don't know how to communicate their needs in a way that doesn't hurt their partner. And and that's- <laughs> I could only imagine when you're like, hey, we can't start with that. <laughs> you're like, well, he's just like an asshole. You're like, okay, well, maybe let's not name call. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, people wait too long to get into couples therapy. So by the time they get into it, they are raw nerves and everything they say with each other is tough to hear. Mm. And it's not coming out gracefully because they often have waited so long that they feel fear resentment. It may be the last straw to save their relationship. So there's a ton of pressure in terms of how is this going to go and what does it mean if it goes this way or that way? So if if you're listening to this, you know, one thing I might encourage you to do is if you're thinking about couples therapy, get in sooner rather than later. And if your partner's the one dragging their feet, have them listen to this podcast mm-hmm. and- <laughs> It'll and, be fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot less expensive than divorce and yes. it usually ends with a better result. Mm-hmm. So- you know, I think people really struggle and not only are there real time difficulties that couples are navigating, but when we're living in a climate that is so uncertain, it activates people's trauma. So whatever you have had going on in your life up until now is also probably very alive and is at the table demanding to be attuned to. And so I think couples who address those needs in a way that's really delicate together with intention to be present and and provide relief with each other as they're going through this really difficult time and difficult conversation, those are the couples that really fare well. Okay, how does this sound? Supplements, but make them chocolate. I know, same. I'm like, yeah, obviously, but like, how is that possible? And then we found FX Chocolate and I'm just so excited to continue to gush about this brand that basically makes your chocolate healthy and functional. It's quite, quite miraculous. FX Chocolate sources their active ingredients from a family-owned supplement business with 30 years experience, and they are endorsed by thousands of doctors internationally. They are also super transparent. They've got nothing to hide. Every box of FX Chocolate comes with a certificate of analysis that shows exactly what's in every single bite, and their responsibility is just at 100. So this is an American-made product that goes beyond helping keep people locally employed. It also supports environmental sustainability. 
accountability. Y'all know we love that. Let me just give you some of my favorites. I love the sunshine. So this is a formula that has vitamin D3 and vitamin K2 in it. It is delicious. Dark chocolate and getting my daily dose of vitamin D and vitamin K. Hello. I also really love the Defend formula. This is great for this time of year. mushrooms guys reishi mushrooms are masters of immune support energy and cellular protection so it has reishi mushroom and dark cacao i think you're gonna have a blast perusing the shop on fxchocolate.com because all of their formulas are so good they cover so many areas of needs like focus and sleep and relaxation Uh, so i think you're gonna have a really good time and you are going to absolutely love their products for our listeners we're really excited you can get 20 percent off 20 percent off with code almost 30 when you go to fxchocolate.com fxchocolate.com for powerful nutraceuticals in your chocolate it's sugar-free keto-friendly it's delicious fxchocolate.com use the code almost 30 for 20 percent off i'm so excited to introduce you to this brand this is It is plastic-free personal care made without compromise. And it took me a second to get used to this, but now I am absolutely obsessed with their products. So Bite toothpaste bits are so convenient. You just pop a bit in your mouth, chew it up and start brushing. It is that easy. It will turn to paste really quickly, just like you're used to, but with no plastic tube or messy paste. Did you know? Okay, this is a crazy fact that you swallow five to 7% of your toothpaste every single time you brush your teeth. That is an entire blob of toothpaste every seven days. That is disgusting. (laughs) Most commercial toothpastes are filled with harsh chemicals, artificial flavors, and preservatives. Not stuff you want to put in your mouth, let alone eat. So that's why Bite makes dry toothpaste tablets made with clean ingredients that are sulfate-free, palm oil-free, and glycerin-free. Again, it took me a second to get used to, and then I was like, wait, This is actually genius and the best. Uh, They also come in refillable glass jars and they send refills in compostable pouches so they're better for our bodies and our earth. So no more plastic toothpaste tubes. Okay. Um, And Bites making plastic free alternatives for everything uh, on your bathroom sink from toothpaste, mouthwash, toothbrushes, deodorant. So you can cut all the harsh chemicals out and plastic waste out without compromise. I'm so excited for you. You have to try. Bite. I am obsessed. Bite is offering our listeners 20% off your first subscription order. Go to trybite.com slash almost 30. That's T-R-Y-B-I-T-E.com slash almost 30 or use the code almost 30 at checkout to claim this deal. That is 20% off your first subscription order when you go to trybite.com slash almost 30. So you see people kind of coming in with this, like the name calling, they're kind of coming in at the end of it to these communication conversations. So what would be like the ideal dream situation for communication if you want to not reach the point of that resentment name calling Mm -hmm. kind of like last straw? 
One of the things that I like to do with couples straight away is to get them looking in each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. And for some, for some people that doesn't feel safe, but for the people with whom it does feel okay, it can give them a space to rehumanize each other. Mm. Right, Because if you think about it, part of what happens when we start feeling angry or ashamed mm-hmm. is we look away. And I can't tell you how many couples will go months without even making eye contact with mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. So then when they finally do in session, they giggle, they cry, they get angry. They have this wellspring of emotion that comes up because our eyes communicate a lot of that with our partner. And so when we reconnect and do that eye gazing practice, we rehumanize and then we want to take care of our partner in a different way. And I don't mean take care of them like a parent, but we want to make sure that they don't get overwhelmed in a moment. Mm. We can be more empathic. Mm. Yeah, I love that practice. I realized that Mm -hmm. too with Justin, my partner. Mm -hmm. He said something about like when we have sex, he's like, you know, we need to look in our eyes more. Yeah, mm. Don't do that. I was like, damn, for me, that feels mm. interesting yeah. to do that with someone. So and like, intimate. I know, so and intimate. Or, or vulnerable, really. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it feels... <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. Because <laughs> we're talking about S-E-S. <laughs> we just started couples therapy too, and it's been... Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, you know... We've always wanted to do it, but it's been really powerful mm-hmm. to just kind of, it's been beautiful to hear him communicate more about mm-hmm. his needs and feelings and kind of what he's experiencing and go through. And like, whenever he has like something, I'm like, oh my God, yes. Is it so sexy? Yes, yes, dude. Yeah. Like if he'll have beef with best. me about something, I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. he'll like do two things. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, that point about, you know, nurturing your partner in a different way or making mm-hmm. yeah there is an intimacy and an attractive quality to making the other feel safe so yeah. when i learn more about my partner's triggers or just like story history mm-hmm. life and i'm able to like understand certain things that like either bother him turn him on whatever mm-hmm. and i'm able to communicate those too there is like this really, it's like a bubble or mm-hmm. just like, it's like a very safe space mm-hmm. that I have found like just allows me to relax a lot more, oh, a definitely. lot, lot more. And I'm not so in my head, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. It makes total sense. This is the model of, the, of couples therapy that I'm trained in is called the PACT model, which means the psychobiological approach to couples therapy. It was developed by Stan Tatkin and he coined the phrase couple bubble to speak to exactly mm-hmm. what you just said, right? When we prioritize our coupleship and everything that we do is organized around creating safety there. We thrive as a couple. We also thrive as individuals because we have that safe base from which to then go and explore the world and, and do all the things. But it's really hard to do that if we don't feel safe in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean physically, you know, emotionally, really. Mm-hmm. For the person that has a partner they want to go to couples therapy with, but the partner might not be on board, what is like something that you can do to support them and potentially having that be the outcome? That's such a tough question because, you know, people don't want to go to couples therapy for myriad reasons, right? Usually there's fear, there's shame, they're protecting themselves. Maybe there's something unconsciously they're trying really hard not to think about. And so I I think it's a balance of respecting that pace, but also being really clear with your partner that this is something that you need and, you know, really inviting them to be a part of the solution with you. Mm -hmm. But if they're not willing, I think, you know, that's a tough spot for the other partner to be in because 
because they have to make some decisions about, am I going to stay in a relationship where my partner can't or won't, mm-hmm. right? And sit with all of these unmet needs that I have or do I move on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I mean, ther- therapy has changed my life mm-hmm. and our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think about like my parents' generation and my mom goes to therapy, my dad doesn't. And I can only imagine, I hear a little bit of it, but I can only imagine just kind of the, it's like you can get farther apart in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, you're can. learning more about yourself and in turn, you're learning more about the world and other people and your relationships. And then it's like the other person is at a disadvantage in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, it just seems like it can only get worse. I know that's mm-hmm. kind of morbid, but it's like, it just doesn't feel like it could ever work. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say never, but yeah. but often what you're saying is exactly what happens, right? One partner gets into it and they start seeing all the benefits and the other partner is not able or willing yet to go there. And so they do start to grow apart and it can become this this weaponized third in relationships, mm. right? Where, you know, one person finds so much safety and, and movement and progress in their own lives and then they feel held back, you know, by the partner who's not willing. And the other partner might feel resentful because, mm. you know, now, now that the relationship dynamic is changing. Yes. The yeah. PACT method, is there any other tools that people could use from that that they could apply? Like what are some other things that you love about that method that people could think about? What I love about this model of couples therapy is that it's it's brilliant um, because it's simple, but it utilizes sort of three different approaches of therapy. It looks at our attachment styles and it looks at our capacity for affect regulation. So meaning how we regulate our emotions or don't. And then it looks at our interpersonal neurobiology. So basically it looks at how our brain and nervous system is impacted by our partner and vice versa. And so we create a lot of um, energy between the two of us. And and what the PACT model does is it says, hey, you know, look at the two of you, you know, one of you is dysregulated, you've got to get the system back on track. So how do you take care of each other in this moment to get, give your partner relief? It teaches you to be experts on each other so that you can really prioritize each other's well-being, knowing that doing so not only helps secure your relationship, but ensures your own survival in mm-hmm. the world. Mm. Or if you're a narcissist, you can use it for your own gain. <laughs> Do you feel like everyone's a narcissist? Like everyone is calling everyone a narcissist now. I think that's an easy label to throw at people when we're trying to shame them for being egocentric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you know what a narcissist is, though? You can't be throwing that around. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah. It's like everyone's favorite mm-hmm. new thing. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I might be really unpopular for saying this, but narcissists are people too. Yeah. And we have to remember how they got there. And it's mm-hmm. usually a profound amount of trauma mm-hmm. that got there. So it's easy again to sort of say, you're a narcissist. Yes. But what I think would be more apt is to say, I'm really hurt by your behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like they split a person, their personality splits or something. Mm. And then they have to focus on that that split or that person that they like want to protect. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about sex positivity Mm -hmm. and I wanted to talk about something. So what I perceive to be happening with, within sex positivity, which we've had sex workers on, like Mm -hmm. we've, we've run the gamut of talking about a lot of topics is that what I see labeled as sex positivity feels to me like it's from the patriarchal gaze. It feels to me like there still is that element of, 
the patriarchy within what sometimes is labeled as sex positivity and it's still for the benefit of like not the people that we want it to be the benefit for have you found that to be like what are your thoughts on that and like what are your views of the sex positivity movement in space my working definition of sex positivity is that this is a, a position that honors whatever your own organic relationship wants to be and is with sex and doesn't shame, you don't shame yourself and we don't shame other people mm -hmm. for their relationships with sex. And we recognize the diversity of healthy sexuality that can exist in the world, even if something that somebody else likes isn't something we're going to integrate into our own sexual story. Mm -hmm. So... I'm not sure if that's the same mm -hmm. definition that we're working on, but... Yeah, I think it is it is the same ideal, but not as specific. And I think yours is right. I guess I just see sometimes like music videos or just some things that are in the media or pop culture that feel like they're supposed to be sex positive, but don't actually feel like it's for the pleasure mm -hmm. of a woman. It feels like it's for the aesthetics or like the shock factor or like for like online culture rather than like a genuine like body love and mm -hmm. pleasure within oneself mm -hmm. with another partner or by yourself. Mm -hmm. No, I see what you're saying. I, I think that there definitely is an, an element of sex positivity that's still, for people who have a more patriarchal ideological mindset, mm -hmm. they're going to both slut shame and they're going to commoditize mm -hmm. someone else's sexuality. And I think maybe an important distinction to make is that the only people who can objectify someone is the person doing the objectifying, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody chooses to be sexual, we don't know what their experience is, mm -hmm. right? And I think we've got to parse out what's the difference between being sexual and being sexualized. Mm -hmm. And what I hear is that your concern is that some women may think that they're being sexual, but in fact, they're being sexualized. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they don't even think they're being sexual and they're pandering to a role, that's that what is. it feels like the role yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I that I think about a lot, especially when we talk about things like mainstream porn and pop mm -hmm. culture. And I think it's really important to know that there's a tremendous, you know, variability in terms of why people do the things that they do. And it's not for anyone to say what's empowering, but them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thanks for digging into that. It's just something I think about because it's like, I guess... When you think about porn, you can think about the porn created for women, like from the mm -hmm. female gaze. And it's like women's bodies that are more, mm -hmm. you know, normal or body neutral. And then it's like situations and experiences and lovers that feel more organic and mm -hmm. feel more natural. And it feels less of like that commoditized version like you're talking about within normal porn or just sometimes within pop culture where it's like always from the same perspective of like white cis, mm -hmm. big boobed, blonde haired women, mm -hmm. you know, or like a man that looks like this in a situation that looks like this. A woman could potentially be disempowered, all of these things. So it's sometimes it's like, I just feel like women are sometimes told that something could be empowering where they're maybe not sure if it is or not. Mm -hmm. And it's not maybe as empowering as it could have been in like the more sensual woman-centered situation. Mm -hmm. I, I totally hear you, but I think it's important to remember that even just sort of having that perspective. Yeah is sort of catering to the patriarchy mm -hmm. because it assumes that only women can feel this way mm -hmm. and that that's a woman-centered perspective. But there are many men who crave that kind of connection mm -hmm. and intimacy too. So, 
you know, there, there's, there's room for there to be objectification if everyone involved is consenting, mm-hmm. right? Because it does allow us to play out different kinds of fantasy and different roles within ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's space for that. Where I think it gets sort of co-opted is, is that mainstream free, mm-hmm. non-ethical, non-feminist mm-hmm. created porn tends to be thematically very degrading, male-centered and very limiting in terms of sexual diversity and pleasure. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. completely non-realistic. But when we sort of factor in, you know, the way that society has told women not to be sexual, not to want that kind of stimuli, I wonder what it might look like in 30 years when there are more women stepping up to that, to that cause and making more female-centered porn or the feminine gaze or just ethical. You know, mm-hmm, making yeah. sure that it's presented in a way that's realistic as mm-hmm. well as objectifying in moments. Mm-hmm. Around the ethics, like what is that sort of education or conversation about, you know, within the porn industry? What What is some information that people maybe need to know of? When I think about ethical porn, I think about porn that is one based in fair labor Mm-hmm. laws so everyone gets compensated appropriately in really transparent ways the the actors who are selected are it's ensured that they're doing so volitionally mm-hmm. there's no coercion there are no secrets and you know there there's a, a guarantee that nobody's being exploited mm-hmm. right sexually emotionally physically financially yes and that's really important that porn typically exists behind a paywall because it's more expensive to make so when you look at you know platforms like I don't even know I, I don't want to name names mm-hmm. but when you look at the common free platforms those guarantees are not always in place which mm-hmm. is why you know last year we saw the New York Times do big stories on some of the mo- the most famous free platforms and it eradicated a lot of the content that they had on those sites because it could they could not conform that it was done ethically wow mm. that's interesting it's like when journalism is really good mm-hmm. you know at times mm-hmm. it can be a little you know out there but then it's like wow that was an important story that really mm-hmm. changed things. And it, it seems to me like the sex positive conversation really is based on the consent mm-hmm. and like the full participation, mm-hmm. you know, where, yeah. because I can imagine, I can see an empowering moment of like a woman who is in a music video and mm-hmm. she's wearing like a beautifully like revealing mm-hmm. outfit, dance, whatever. And she is fully owning Mm -hmm. that. And then also aware that, yeah, she might be objectified by those watching her millions Mm -hmm. around the world, but that she is okay. So it's like her consent and her ownership Mm -hmm. is kind of what makes it sex positive. That's exactly right. I wonder if I'm so ingrained in the patriarchy that me thinking that that's disempowering is part, you know, like (laughs) it's like me thinking that disempowering is part of that. Because it's like, Mm. why wouldn't I assume that she's empowered? I mean, it's a great question. And and I think so many of us are contending with levels of internalized misogyny that that feel like a constant rolling back of layers, Yes. right? So I can't answer that question for you, only you can. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know for my own edification, I went through similar questions too. Like, how can that even be empowering? And 
how does it make sense when there are so many people watching who are shaming her? And is it really mm -hmm. sex positive? And, and the answer is, I don't know, because yeah. I don't know what her perspective is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what her motives are and what it, what it does to her soul, mm -hmm. right? For some people, it might light them up. And for yes. others, it might do that momentarily. And then they might have feelings later that contradict that empowerment. Mm -hmm. But for some people, it's empowerment all the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That internalized misogyny, can we talk a little bit about that? Like, mm -hmm. what does that mean? And what are some of the, the parts of your journey where you're like, wow, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so an internalized misogyny is, is any kind of shaming, degrading, or diminishing of women that other women do toward themselves or toward other women. Mm -hmm. So it's big. Huge. Yes. This is my favorite topic. <laughs> and I feel like I see it every day. Every, every day. day. Every day. And we you were know talking what? about it in mm -hmm. our interview before. Mm -hmm. I bet each one of us at this table still has mm -hmm. parts of it in us too. Mm -hmm. Because it's so entrenched mm -hmm. in the fabric of how we're conditioned. Mm -hmm. I'm sure for you being someone that's a sex educator and you know, you're so established and esteemed and being really beautiful, mm -hmm. I'm sure that that I'm, I'm not sure, but I would wonder if that sometimes you felt like there was women that maybe looked at you differently because of that fact. I get it all the time. Mm -hmm. I get it all. And, and thank you for your kind words. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I get a lot of questions about my aesthetic and a lot of internalized misogyny projected at me. You know, therapists don't look like that or professional women don't look like that. Or, you mm -hmm. know, what are you doing? You must be a nympho. You know, there's just all kinds of... The word nympho makes me laugh. It's <laughs> <I know>. so <laughs> silly. It's like, so old. It's, like, it's like freaking nympho. It's like so <laughs> silly. <laughs> yeah. But it's all the time. I mean, look, we, we have been conditioned yes. to think that a woman who has, you know, some power around her body or mm -hmm. power around her sexuality, she's evil or bad or damaged. Yes. And that's just a narrative that I don't subscribe to. Mm. How, mm. What's your reaction or response? Or is it nuanced in the moment or is mm -hmm. it subliminal kind of? Or, or how do you react in that way? And the reason why I asked is because there's a lot of women that are probably going to come up against this if they're mm -hmm. successful, if they're beautiful, if they're all these things. So what are some ways in which they can um, empower themselves in those moments? Well, first I want to say beauty is totally subjective, right? Yes. And I mm -hmm. hope that every woman cultivates a relationship to her own beauty because we all have it. Mm -hmm. And it will be the thing that people with a lot of misogyny go after first. Because when you value women only for their appearance and their aesthetic or their sexual value to you, that's the first thing that you go to, to try and break them down and denigrate mm -hmm. them. So on social media, this plays out all the time, right? There are so many comments that women get degrading their appearance and it comes from people of all genders. So I think to answer your question, like how can women handle it? I think expect it, right? And learn to not personalize and internalize it because it's someone else's projection of their own sexual shame. Mm. Mm. Yes. I'm curious with the work that you do and then being in a relationship, have you noticed any form of resistance to almost like practicing what you teach or guide people to in your sessions? Has there, without getting into the intimacies of your relationship, but mm -hmm. I can imagine that having this as a profession can be kind of like meta sometimes or like <laughs> some sort of like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be, and I think we experience this. Mm -hmm. Yes, where, where I'm it's like, like on 
the mic all day being so emotionally <laughs> whatever. And then I'm a 12 year old when I'm fighting. <laughs> Literally, I'll be like, you know I know da, 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 da. like talking about philosophy. And then I'm like, I am 12. <laughs> it's like, how do you really like take care of you? You know what I'm saying? Like just really mm, yeah. nurture that and become the practitioner rather than the guide in, mm-hmm. in certain moments. <laughs> I really appreciate this question. It's so timely. As my partner and I have been having a lot of these conversations mm-hmm. about what it means to be the the people in relationship that we want to be and how it's hard sometimes to balance that when your profession is so close, right, to what it means to be a human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So it's it's hard. And I, I certainly am not going to sit here and say I'm always graceful because I am not. But I think, you know, we we do a lot of work trying to figure out what are the ways where we regress and where can we help each other grow. And it's sometimes painful, sometimes ugly, sometimes feels like, you know, we're running in circles, which is true for every couple because intimacy is really hard, no matter what your profession is. Just like if you're an oncologist and you get cancer, it's really hard, no matter how equipped you might be. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a yummy, smooth, natural deodorant for you. You're going to shop clean and sustainably here at each and every. So there's so much I love about each and every. I love that I can really feel good about the ingredients I'm putting on my body. It's sustainably packaged and it really works. So, you know, with natural deodorant, it's like, you know, it's a hit or miss. Truly, it's a hit or miss. I'm using natural deodorant because I don't want chemicals on my body. I especially don't want aluminum in my system. Uh, But each and every has made this transition to natural deodorant super easy. So if you're out there and you're like, I don't know, I don't know. Each and every is working. It is working like that regular deodorant, but without the chemicals. It feels so good on my skin. I'm obsessed with the scents. My favorite is the cedar vanilla. It is so yummy. Um, Each and every is created with super high standards. It's made with six simple safe ingredients like coconut oil and dead sea salt and has been found phytoder as well as antiperspirant without that aluminum. It's unbelievable. So again, let's review. It's ethically sourced ingredients. They're vegan and cruelty-free. They use sustainable plant-based packaging. There's no aluminum, no crap in it. And these scents are absolutely scrumptious. I love the cedar vanilla as well as the coconut and lime. Uh, You can get 30% off your first purchase. Just go for it. Try it out. 30% off is an insane discount. Use our special, special URL, eachandevery.com slash almost 30. That's each and every, spell it all out eachandevery.com slash almost 30 and use the promo code almost 30, 30% off. Don't miss out on it. E-A-C-H-A-N-D-E-V-E-R-Y.com slash almost 30 and use the promo code almost 30 for 30% off. Mm, I always love a beverage upgrade and I'm excited to share with you about Earth and Star. You're going to elevate your daily ritual by supercharging your favorite beverages and treats with adaptogens for immune support, focus, calm, and energy. I am obsessed with their delicious plant-based lattes. They are super functional without adding extra steps to your daily routine. These are blends with benefits. So there's no prep, no pills. They're in these cans that are just darling. Uh, Their blends are absolutely delicious. That's the thing. Because sometimes with these like adaptogenic mixes, it's like, eh, 
the taste isn't there. No, no, no. The taste is here. They have matcha, cacao, turmeric, and it's made with creamy oat milk and just a touch of sweetness. They also have black coffee. Uh, so if you're just used to that like black coffee vibe, it is so, so good. I am obsessed with Earth and Star. It's created by the founders of Blueprint Cleanse. They're so awesome. It's female founded and operated 100% organic plant-based, no refined sugars, gums, or fillers. I love and trust this brand so, so much. Uh, My favorite is the cacao. It has lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, chaga, and L-theanine. And I'm also really loving the organic ground coffee from Earth and Star. I gotta say, I'm making my coffee at home these days. I am doing like the slow pour. I think that's what they call it. So I get their ground coffee and it is just delicious. Delicious, y'all. Check out their other products. They're amazing. Earthandstar.com. Okay. Earthandstar.com. And you're going to use the code almost 30 for 15% off your first order. That's E-A-R-T-H-A-N-D-S-T-A-R.com, earthandstar.com. Use the code almost 30. You're going to get 15% off. Do you have like certain check-ins or questions or exercises that you do, or maybe you suggest for people that help to recalibrate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, creating time to really check in with each other on a regular basis, whether it's once a day, once a week, whatever your schedules can allow and whatever you need, mm-hmm. right? is really important. And you can do that really simply. The eye gazing component is so, so helpful. It really helps to co-regulate your nervous systems. So we practice that as often as we can. And, you know, we're not always great about it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, it happens easier than other times, but it's a practice. So I think just giving each other some grace and recommitting to time and presence is really, really important. And then of course, there are lots of exercises you can learn in couples therapy to get the content you know, going once you've got the, the energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's like five minutes of time that's like intentional is mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just having that connective mm-hmm. moment. It's mm-hmm. almost like we don't realize that that's all we need. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and we... Or I'll speak for myself. Like sometimes I think I need so much more mm-hmm. than I need. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, I need you to take off a week and spend a whole day. It's like, yes. oh, I just need five minutes, 10 minutes mm-hmm. laying with me on the couch and giggling and just being together mm-hmm. or being seen or mm-hmm. having like a meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, satiated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause if we think about how much like real genuine connection do we have on a daily basis? And it's almost like sometimes I think about like unconditional love, like the feeling of unconditional love. It's like a, it like breaks, it's like a circuit breaker mm-hmm. when you feel like mm-hmm. that, like exponential love, it almost doesn't feel right within your body. Cause mm-hmm. we don't feel it mm-hmm. a, a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's like that intense presence with someone is so much for us Mm. because we're so distracted and because we're so numb that it can almost be like a little jarring you know you're like because I know the eye gazing thing for me it just I'm laughing right now because I'm like what (laughs) that's my reaction I'm realizing that's my trauma response is laughter but I was like it's just a lot for your self to take in oh totally yeah you Mm -hmm. know and so you're just 
But yeah, I think that's smart. And, and what Justin and I have done, because we noticed within our fights, it was me asking for the same thing, him asking for the same thing. For me, it's connection. For him, it's support, which mm-hmm. is like a very masculine and feminine thing if we're working in those two type of energy signatures. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, I want to connect, you know, whatever. And for me, my connection is so energetic. Mm-hmm. It's like, as women, we know when a man is only focused on us or as like a cis woman I know when a man that I'm interested mm-hmm. in is only focused on me mm-hmm. and you can feel when they're not connected to you mm-hmm. I don't know if you experienced oh, this totally yeah mm-hmm. you know it's so energetic mm-hmm. so it's like for me I want that feeling that I get when I know he's connected to me mm-hmm. and for him it's like the support of knowing I'll always be there so we had to get really clear on like what do those words mean mm-hmm. and what could be actions around those words that we could take because it was like we were dancing around and saying these words that mean different things mm-hmm. for me Support means something different than what it means for him. For yep. him, connection means something different. And that's been really helpful for us. Mm. That's so beautiful. And I, I love that you did that exercise because couples do that all the time. They have different definitions for words and they both think that they're really addressing the issue and they're missing the mark entirely because one person defines it like this and the other person defines it like this. And it's just this chasm between mm-hmm. the two definitions and what that looks like in real life to meet each other's needs. And I think Justin couldn't, it took him a while to put because we're having these conversations all the time I've been in therapy myself for a while and so I'm more able to sort of define that for myself Mm -hmm. but I think for him it was interesting because he was having a hard time defining it Mm -hmm. because it is subtle a lot Mm -hmm. of times too so it's like putting words to the subtle and I was like oh wow this is kind of where we're stuck because we don't have this space of this agreed Mm -hmm. upon definition I think for him it's just harder as a man to be like I need you to like hold my hand when I'm doing this or I need you to, you know, this means support to me because mm-hmm. I don't think men have a lot of that same experience around that like we do as mm-hmm. as women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, men are so often conditioned away from all things nurturing, away from all yes. things emotional, away from, you know, paying attention to that because to do so might mean to compromise their their felt sense of masculinity. Right, and so when we create space for that in a relationship, we're we're giving permission for a a new definition of masculinity, which is really important if somebody hasn't had access to that before. But also, it can you know be a bit of a learning curve mm-hmm. for people who have been conditioned away from all of those experiences. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd love to talk about just staying within the relationship context and when you have kind of like a mismatched desire or seemingly mismatch mm-hmm. on the surface, mm-hmm. just how you can navigate that because I think desires are so so intimate and personal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when you put a desire out there, it's like, it, it, it's, it's one of the most vulnerable things mm-hmm. because what if the other person like, will reject it. It's like that mm-hmm. feeling of just reje- being rejected that yeah. can feel so scary. So how do you navigate that, especially you know, in a sexual context with desires or fantasies, fetishes, mm-hmm. things like that, or even varying libido? Yeah. I mean, well, two kind of separate topics, libido and then desires, but both, I think it's really important to remember that if you're coming to the conversation in good faith, Mm. that really means showing up without judgment, showing up with an open mind. And I really encourage couples when there are 
discrepancies in terms of what turns them on to get curious with each other about what does it mean to you to be, you know, doing X, Y, Z? What does this fantasy allow you to play out in yourself? Because sometimes if the fantasy or the behavior or the kink doesn't feel accessible to one partner, by getting curious about what it allows them each to notice in themselves, mm. they can find other ways to get there and scratch mm. that itch, which can feel really liberating and really joining, right? So, you know, even if you don't like a foot fetish, for example, and your partner's all about it, are there other things that can help you get there together mm-hmm. that maybe are a little bit more accessible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's smart. Because I think for a lot of women, we're such analyzers. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> We were at dinner last night analyzing this situation. That's like, <laughs> just like, that's hilarious. It was like one conversation for, we've been analyzing it for weeks with our friends. But I think about that with fetishes too. Like I wonder mm-hmm. with women and I think what happens is we take them so literally mm-hmm. and we're like, we think about them so much. So what is that experience and how can women be more open-minded about a fetish or an experience that maybe their other partner wants to have or mm-hmm. either either party man or woman? How can we be more open-minded about that rather than sort of being like, well, he must not have had love from his mom because that's why, you know, <laughs> that sort of situation. Or I'm not enough or I'm yes. boring or, you know. If that's the narrative that comes up, the I'm not enough or I'm boring, I think that's a place where a lot of women go automatically And this is a part of that patriarchal conditioning, right? Like, don't be sexual, don't do that. And then we shut a lot of those parts of ourselves off. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of women do feel really threatened by things that are outside of whatever has been their prescribed uh, permission slip for sexuality, Mm -hmm. if you will. So I think, you know, that's maybe one place to start is examining, why do I feel the way I feel about where I'm limiting myself? Am I worried about how I will be viewed if I were to like this thing or do I really not like this thing? And and if so, why not? You know, a lot of women feel like some of the, the kinks that their partner asks for are degrading and they might be, right? But I wonder if there's room to be curious with a partner about where that need to degrade comes from and if there's a way to safely role play so that you can sort of keep respect and and equanimity outside of the bedroom and create room for maybe some power plays inside the bedroom because so many of our fantasies are allowing us to act out certain needs that we don't feel we can get met in our real lives. And I think when we start looking at sex as kind of an adult sandbox. It's our play box. We get to get a lot more creative and we don't have to personalize and take everything so to heart. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying yeah. that anyone should do something they're not comfortable yeah, doing, sure. first of all, but but if you're curious and, and want to be a little bit more expansive, I think it's, it's a good opportunity to kind of challenge why you feel the way you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the why really Mm -hmm. helps. And Mm -hmm. I think it helps you get to know your partner Mm -hmm. on a deeper level and also allow them to get to know themselves because maybe they've never been able to articulate Mm -hmm. what it is behind that desire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would love to talk about just the, how women can support themselves in having a higher libido and having orgasms. I faked it for many, many years. I <laughs> didn't know. think that I could. I was like, oh, I'm not gonna give myself. Oh, well, it wasn't like, it wasn't holding back on my own pleasure. I was just like, oh, I don't think I can get there mm-hmm. with you, like with a person, another person, mm-hmm. because I was so in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad because I can't believe it was that many years that I 
freaking did that. Because <laughs> now know. I'm like, I, I I got it now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, how did I not? I know. I do think that's it. a lot of people. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so how can we like just support ourselves physically, emotionally, even spiritually? Yeah. Well, I mean, so there's a couple of things. Uh, one, I think it's really important to look at whatever is happening in your life practically, because if you're legitimately exhausted or if there's a side effect from medication or you feel touched out from children or, mm. you know, there's resentment in your relationship or you don't feel incredibly safe in the relationship, it may be a lot more challenging to have an orgasm without addressing those things or to really kind of be present with pleasure and to increase libido. I mean, think about how hard it is for your body to come up with energy you don't have, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, really kind of replenishing that and working with your partner to make sure that you get the time that you need for self-care mm-hmm. and to be an individual first, right? I think so many women would be well-served sexually if they were able to really be adamant around self-care time. And I don't necessarily mean like manicures and massages, although that can be really helpful. But when I say self-care, I mean things like protecting themselves energetically and setting boundaries with people who are time sucks or emotional vampires, you know, really making sure that their boundaries emotionally, physically, financially, sexually are intact. And even from a time perspective, because when we learn how to really show up for ourselves, then we can take that knowledge into the bedroom and be much more um, effective in our advocacy for our own pleasure. And we can be more communicative, right? It starts outside Mm -hmm. the bedroom and then we generalize it and bring it in. Yeah, I think that's so, so key. And we don't always set aside the time to have that conversation Mm -hmm. because it's like life happens and we're like, well, we'll just figure it out when Mm -hmm. we're doing it. But it's so key because you're out of the emotion of it and Mm -hmm. also like Mm -hmm. the physical vulnerability Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I would encourage you to have that conversation with your partner about what you need and, and what works and and what might be a hindrance, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're not in the throes Mm -hmm. of the moment. Mm -hmm. For people that have experienced, um, so it's interesting. I don't know if we learned this stat with you at the, the house of wise, but, or if, I don't know how I'm learning this fact about sexual assault and how so many women have experienced some sort of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, what is like the journey for for someone that wants to work with that? Like even me, myself, like I've experienced it and in varying degrees of big T and little t trauma. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure how to go about my process of, I'll literally say the questions in my question. I was like kind of <laughs> dancing around it. How do I go through the process of learning about it, of mm-hmm. healing, of mm-hmm. being in conversation with my partner about it if I have not, or like integrating that experience into my life? Great question. There's no sort of one cookie cutter way because every assault, every every element of sexual violence is different per person and per experience. And what that means is that the level of impact on each mm-hmm. survivor is different, especially given the diversity of people and what kinds of internal and external resources they had before the assault happened. But the short answer to your question is that it's really kind of a three-stage process, right? When we're healing from a sexual trauma, and that is one, first, we're sort of identifying the emergency or the crisis and, and getting stability when we've been violated in the moment. 
after that, it's really kind of a process of getting back to the everyday experience of life. And that sometimes can take some time. And following is a period of assimilation, of learning how to incorporate this thing that happened that you didn't want, didn't invite, and didn't feel good into your life and into your your experience of yourself. And that can be the place where most survivors really kind of get the most stuck and have the most frustration arise because how dare we have to consider integrating something into who we are that we didn't invite, didn't want, didn't feel good. And so I think it's really a question of kind of learning about the impact on your life and learning how to find find and cultivate peace where sometimes there will be an interruption because healing from sexual trauma or any kind of trauma is not a one and done, right? And with different milestones in our lives, we may have to take that experience off the shelf, re-examine it, deal with it again, make sense of it again in a new way and put it back, you know, and into the reserves of who we are and and the life experience that we've had. Mm Yeah. Yeah. I told a story at dinner. It was not a funny story. And I didn't realize. I'm like, this is a funny story. And I told Justin, he was like, that story is is horrifying to me. (laughs) I was like, oh, wow. I didn't realize that wasn't funny. And he's like, did you think, I just want to know, did you think that was funny? He's like, I didn't, I didn't think that was funny. And I'm like, damn. So it's almost like it's so in me that I don't know Mm -hmm. what the healing needs to happen. And I think for a lot of women, they don't even know that it's happened. Mm -hmm because it's so normalized. That was mm-hmm. my situation. The one, there's been others, but the one that I told him was actually a normalized. It felt mm-hmm. normalized what had mm-hmm. happened. And I'm like, so many people have these experiences that actually aren't normal, mm-hmm. but we sort of accept as normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the way to go about understanding that is to learn more and more about what are the different covert and overt kinds of sexual assault, because there's a ton of stuff that happens covert without even any contact on our person. And that can have big implications on how we feel in our body and our level of felt safety in the world and mm-hmm. with partners and during sex. Mm-hmm. I can imagine with social media, Instagram, mm-hmm. messaging, mm-hmm whatever i can imagine there's a lot that happens mm-hmm. online yeah. that is like because there's no physical contact mm-hmm. there isn't like that line or that very clear line that is drawn where whether it's like this aggressive pursuit or just sexualizing someone without mm-hmm. their consent i just can yeah i can imagine mm-hmm. and and you and you don't know necessarily how to like you don't know where the line is to be like stop yes because it's like typing on a yeah. computer i don't know it's like a very weird thing it is it is social media is has given us such a different sort of dimension in which to interact with each other and i think it, it's great in so many ways but also it's created this kind of two-dimensional dehumanized gamification of the human mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. and i think that's given people a lot of blind spots in terms of how they're communicating and also a lot of uh, entitlement so i think the line is whenever somebody's interacting with you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable you get to say stop mm-hmm. you get to block them you don't have to explain why you don't have to apologize for it we have to fear protect ourselves from the entitlement of other people's cruelty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think back even to the beginning, that's where the embodiment mm-hmm. helps because 
it's like things happened before I was like embodied. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even mm-hmm. know because you're just kind of moving about your life without really feeling into mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. How does this make me feel? Mm-hmm. You know, this is happening. I'm in my mind. How does this make me feel? And that's why even with with having boundaries or assault or having the sex you want or being in couples therapy, it's really like that practice of like coming back home mm-hmm. to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Last question from me, you know, for our community of of people, what is like, I know you probably get this a lot and this isn't like my my most thought-provoking question, but like, what is one thing that you say is like a key to good sex? Embodiment. Mm-hmm. Embodiment, really, because when, when you can be embodied, first of all, your body then becomes a, a place of, you know, erotic home, which is amazing, but you also get all of that really important biofeedback. Mm-hmm. You know, your body tells you what you like, what you don't like, when to speed up, when to slow down, when to move this way, when to move that way. It's a wellspring of information mm-hmm. and you get that energy then that communicates with your partner. So to be embodied is to be empowered sexually and it opens up an entirely different way of being sexual and don't get me wrong there is nothing wrong with like fun disembodied quickies here and there you know but really being able to drop in and notice what's going on I would say is the the biggest gift you can give yourself sexually mm-hmm. and are there ways that you can practice embodiment outside of the bedroom that helps in the bedroom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meditation, yoga, even pelvic floor exercises can mm-hmm. be really helpful and useful to bring awareness to that part of your body. Any kind of, you know, stretching mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be completely laborious or intense, right? I would say gentle is better to to practice being embodied. Mm-hmm. I noticed with workouts, I would be like I'd go to workouts and sometimes at workouts I'd look in the mirror mm-hmm. and I'd be like, my soul is like 40 feet above, like <laughs> way above. Like I would be like, I couldn't even see clearly because mm-hmm. I was so disembodied at the mm-hmm. workouts that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so slowing down with workouts, doing more walks, mm-hmm. you know, which is something that Lindsay and I both have been doing has been so helpful for mm-hmm. that because it's just the kind of like checking in, like, can I feel my body? Can mm-hmm. I feel my feet? You know, it's, you're able to do that more than like, if you're like listening to intense music and, yeah, you know, totally. spinning or all these things. Mm-hmm. And I think too, like, you know, if you are um, being intimate with a partner per se, it's like not having sex be the end goal is actually mm-hmm. super helpful. Mm-hmm. I think in embodiment because it slows it down. There's not like this destination we're going to necessarily. Right. <laughs> And it's just maybe like a a massage or maybe it's Mm -hmm. just like spooning and talking or maybe it's just like breathing together, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. But I think sometimes with the end goal being sex, we then like kind of come up to our minds a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think like having the balance of intimate moments that don't have the end result being like orgasm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, I think if if you can take the pressure off yourself to have an orgasm, that's a big gift too. Mm -hmm. And by any stretch of the imagination, do not fake orgasms. Mm, wow. We're done with that. I know we're we're done with that. that. Did you do that ever? Oh, for years. Yes. For years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're they're so great actresses. (laughs) They're so good. They're just, yeah. Yeah. I guess, so, but just why, why are we done with that? I agree with you, but like, I'd love to just... 
We're done with it for so many reasons. One, because women get to be sexual. And what that means is that we get to be real about what is pleasurable and what isn't. And we don't have to make apology for that. And just like, you know, people with penises do not need to make apology for what they like or don't like. And I wouldn't encourage them to fake orgasms either. Mm -hmm. We have to be more authentic and honest about our sexuality with ourselves first and foremost, and then with each other, Mm -hmm. right? Done are the days of male-centered pleasure being the end all be all. Mm-hmm. You know, women get to take up space on the sexual landscape and we start by no longer faking. That's it, ladies. So that's it. <laughs> that's it. This has been so amazing. I'm so grateful that we met you and we got mm-hmm. to just be in space with you and mm-hmm. um, just be inspired by you, truly. Mm-hmm. I'd love to tell our community where they can find you. Yeah, well, first, thank you so much for inviting me to come oh, on your show. Yeah. I really appreciate it and I'm grateful to be here with you both too. For anyone listening, you can reach me at modernintimacy.com or on TikTok and Instagram at Dr. Kate Balistrieri. Oh, beautiful. So I've got the podcast, Thanks. Modern Intimacy Podcast on Apple um, Podcasts and Spotify. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, guys. We love you. Love you. Bye. 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 Thank you so much, Dr. Kate. Again, modernintimacy.com. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for being a part of our community at Almost 30. You don't have to be 30 or around <laughs> it to be a part of our community. I'll say it again, but we're grateful to have you. And you can actually take a really fun quiz on our website. So if you are a fan of the show, you know that we love aliens and we all love all things galactic. We have a quiz available on our site now that tells you which kind of star seed are you. So are you from the Pleiades? Are you Arcturian? Are you Syrian? Are you Andromedan? There's a bunch of different characteristics that have been attributed to these different star systems and these different star seeds. So you can figure out what kind of star seed you are by going to our website, almost30.com, and our pop-up will show up and you can take the quiz and get your results in your email. What are you? I am Arcturian. I am Pleiadian. Yeah, of course. All right. <laughs> Literally. I actually, I took the quiz and that's what it said too. I know you are so, because you're blue eyes, Pleiadians, <laughs> blue eyes, straight noses, very heart, very like soft and sweet. My dad's very Pleiadian. Jordan Younger's mm-hmm. very Pleiadian. Got a little bit more spice. Bloop, bloop. But Boop, I have Arcturians t- as like little, you know, we have our Arcturians our around that are, yep, true All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. We will see you on the next one. Make sure you're subscribed to Almost 30 so that these episodes show up for you every single week. Bye.